Not afraid to tell it like it is. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon till 3 on AM 900 CHML. Details from the Ontario government's climate change action plan are leaked again. Remember, the first leak involved, uh, I guess it was a couple of weeks ago, uh, I believe this one was from the Globe and Mail, and it had said that uh, the climate, uh, climate change action plan was looking to uh, removing natural gas from new homes as of 2030. Uh, was that a trial balloon? Now, uh, this actual plan is coming out tomorrow, but what we're hearing from uh, the Toronto Star is some of those details include a cash for clunkers program uh, to encourage motors to switch to electric cars, net zero homes, and a home energy rating and disclosure program. Uh, but nothing about uh, against uh, nothing about banning natural gas. Uh, and as a matter of fact, they have uh, started a program to try to get more trucks into natural gas and off of diesel. To talk more about all of this, uh, joining us is Dr. Ross McKittrick, a professor of economics and CBE fellow with the Sustainable Commerce Department of Economics and Finance with the University of Guelph and is with us now. Good afternoon, Ross. How are you today? I'm fine. Thanks, Scott. How are you? Good. Thank you very much for taking the time to join us. Uh, uh, let's talk about the first leak, which involved the natural gas uh, some are suggesting that might have been a trial balloon floated up. How do you explain uh, natural gas being so prominent in that first leak and not in this one? Well, um, I would I would say it was there in the first leak because the people who are planning this are fanatics, and it, it evidently didn't occur to any of them what a crazy idea it was. So uh, they probably wrote it thinking this was actually something they'd like to do, and then they were a bit taken aback by the fact that all the grown-ups out there um, (laughs) reacted so badly. Um, But I don't know what they mean with the new, like what they've replaced it with is said um, all new homes to be net zero carbon homes. I have no idea what that means. That was going to be my next question. What does that mean? How do you do that? I don't know, because all that really says is, okay, you can still use natural gas to heat your home, but you you all need to have a wood lot out back and plant lots of trees. Like, I, I don't know how you, they could possibly make uh, normal urban homes be net zero carbon. Uh, or the other thing is maybe they're going to set up some system where they say, well, the government will sell you carbon offsets. So you can use natural gas, but we're going to put a new tax on it and call it a carbon offset. And then um, what we do with the money is our business. Uh, I, I have no idea what they mean by it um, and how it could possibly be feasible. But um, these these uh, the, the plans, like this is a very bizarre area of provincial policymaking. Uh, do you think we will uh, have any more light shed on this tomorrow? Will we look at this tomorrow and go, ooh, great idea? Well, I don't think we're going to say that. Uh, we might uh, get a bit more light shed on it tomorrow. Um, one thing that's pretty clear, and it's kind of scary, is um, there is a lot of winging it. There's a lot of people involved in this who are just flying by the seat of their pants. They haven't done any cost-benefit analysis. They don't really know how much any of this would cost. Uh, there is potential for this to be extremely destructive to the Ontario economy if they're actually serious about um, some of these proposals. I mean, we've already seen a lot of damage from higher electricity prices, and they're basically going to go after fossil energy next and raise the cost of that as well. And um, we don't get many details because they don't have the details. They're, they're, they're floating ideas and targets and plans uh, that, when they sit around the table, blue sky dreaming, it, it all sounds wonderful to them. 
and then they they propose it as a policy, but they don't really do us the, the courtesy of actually studying it to see whether it makes sense for the province's economy. This has been a common concern, Ross, since the beginning of all of this uh, with the Green Energy Act. Even the Auditor General spoke out and said, you know, great idea, but we've overspent by $37 billion. There, there just doesn't seem to be a lot of due diligence. My question to you is, does this do a disservice to green energy? I mean, because I'm sure most Ontarians, most Canadians want to leave a smaller footprint for their grandkids. They want to do the right thing. But I think this sort of action is tuning is turning people against it because they don't trust the economics of it all. Well, bear in mind, we have already uh, incurred huge costs in Ontario to get a green energy system. Most of our electricity comes from hydro and nuclear, which has zero uh, mm-hmm. CO2 emissions and zero smoke emissions. We have very clean air quality. All the, the data the province publishes reviews every year, we have very low air pollution in Ontario, and we've paid a lot to get there. So we could stop at that point and say, you know, we've actually done our part. Other regions of the world need to do theirs, but we've done our part. We've phased out two coal-fired power plants. I think we spent too much to do it. But last year alone, China approved construction of 155 new coal-fired power plants. Mm -hmm. So we're beating ourselves senseless over this issue. And at a certain point, I think we'd be justified in saying, okay, you know, we've we've paid a lot for this. We've cleaned up our act. Now let's just uh, let other countries start to catch up. Instead, what we do is lay on more and more high-cost policies that really accomplish nothing. Like you say, it's turning people against the whole program. Um, But even more, it is driving away investment, and it's putting our economic growth in peril. You talk about investment. Is there money to be made by being leaders in these industries? I mean, as you said, maybe we're to the point now where it's overkill. But is there there money to be made? Can we sell this uh, by being leaders to other you know, other people, other countries? No, it's, it's a simple question. The, the answer is none of these industries, like wind energy and solar, none of them would exist without massive government subsidies and support through the feed-in tariff program. Uh, these are money-losing operations. And if, uh, if we see this in Europe now, as the, the budgets are, are really in the hole. So uh, Denmark and Spain and the U.K., they're all slashing their budgets for renewable energy, and as a result, the firms involved just close down and disappear. These are subsidy-driven industries, and so, no, there is no money for, uh, for us. All we'll do is make the same mistake that a lot of European countries have made, which is throw a lot of money at these industries. Uh, they will exist while the, the government subsidies are there. As soon as the subsidies disappear, the firms will disappear. So it's not a, an economic growth strategy. How long can North America be holding up Europe as a poster boy for the way to do it then? <laughs> Um, well, for as long uh, until people actually look and see what Europe has gone through. Um, it, 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 when we see countries like Germany that got into renewables in a big way, but then in the last few years have had to start approving new coal-fired power plants because they spent a fortune on wind energy, but they still get a very small and unreliable fraction of their power source from it. Um, so, uh, yeah, you'll hear lots of activists and politicians say the Europeans are ahead of us and we need to catch up, but they're ahead of us in subsidizing money-losing operations and implementing what turn out to be bad ideas. So I don't want us to catch up with that. So are we barking up the wrong tree? Uh, how do we use technology to get us out of this problem? 
Well, I would go back to the point that we, we've actually accomplished what people wanted to accomplish. If you look back to the 70s and 80s, we did have high air pollution levels. We did need to bring them down, and we did that. And it was costly. I mean, it, it involved improved motor vehicle design, improved power plant design, scrubbers, a lot of investments in conventional pollution control technology, and succeeded. We have very clean air in the province. And, and again, the data is, is all out there. Uh, it's it's uh, very clear. So at that point, I would just say there's a, there's a certain point in public policy where you can check a box and say, you know, we've dealt with that. Mm. We don't want to go back, but we don't need to keep... Um, pushing the same uh, lever over and over into the overkill uh, region, which is what we're doing now. Every politician seems to think that unless they announce some ambitious new policy, um, somehow they're not participating in, in the situation. Really, it's just enough to say we've accomplished a great deal and, and we're going to hold on to our gains. Do you think that the Ontario government could uh, c- could sell that? We are ahead of the curve here. We got rid of coal fire power. That's what we th- that was a mandate over uh, a couple of decades. We did that. Uh, we're where we are now. We're just going to keep uh, trying to stay ahead of the curve. But as you said, uh, no reason to continue uh, overexerting ourselves when the results aren't there. Yeah, I think if they spent just a fraction of what they're pouring into some of these. Uh, climate initiatives into just putting educational material out into the schools or into people's hands that show people what our air quality looked like in the 70s and what it looks like today, the discussion would be over. People would say, oh, yeah, I can see, we, you know, it's, it's Well, what about, and I'm just playing devil's advocate there here, but what, what, what about those that say, well, look how far we've come. If we keep doing that again, we'll be here. Uh, yeah, then the problem with that is... Uh, you get into overkill, where further initiatives cost way more than they're worth in terms of any benefit that they yield. Um, the the additional measures that they're talking about, when you get into things like these zero homes, zero carbon homes, or requiring every home to have uh, an energy efficiency audit, or requiring homeowners to, if they're going to have a second car, it has to be electric, those things are very, very expensive. And then when you look at what it would actually do to air quality in the province, it doesn't show up. It doesn't do anything. It's, it's just all cost and no benefit. So at that point, to the devil's advocate, I would say, um, show me some evidence that this is going to yield an improvement in the state of the environment that's worth the money that we would put into it, given how, much, uh, how many demands there are in the public purse for, um, for investment dollars. Why put it into something that we know isn't going to have any payoff? So why is the government doing this? We constantly hear Premier Wynn talking about her grandkids and how she has to save them. Why is the government in this, then, if they're not getting the bang for the buck? What are they getting out of it? Are they using this? Uh, are they selling, uh, you know, green is good, so that gets them reelected? Or are they using it as a revenue tool? Um, well, there might be a bit of revenue planning in there, although I think they're going to be disappointed in how much the cap-and-trade system actually brings in. It's not a very good uh, revenue-raising tool. Um, I just, I think it's, it's a, a lot of people at the core of this particular government are very ideological on this issue. I mean, they, uh, anyone I know who tries to talk to this government on the subject of environment and energy policy they just hit a brick wall. I mean, they're not listening. They have a very strict, hardcore ideology, which is pushing them into more and more fanatical decision-making. 
And um, unfortunately, there doesn't seem to be any way of, of breaking through that. I think they might have been a bit shocked at, at the, the blowback um, with the last trial balloons, but um, it's not like they're really going to change course. I mean, they, uh, they're, they're very set on this plan. Now, Premier Wynne keeps talking about the benefits for her grandchildren. The thing is, though, when she talks to her grandchildren, it'll be long distance to somewhere in the southern U.S. because her grandchildren have to move away because they won't have many opportunities in Ontario the way mm. things are going. Why would we want to put all of our eggs in one energy basket? You know, electric cars, electric heat, electric this. Elec- like, I mean, the first leak, that's what it appeared to be. It was weaning off natural gas or any fossil fuels, and everything was going to be electrified. Why would we want to put all of our eggs into one fuel basket? Uh, well, that's a, an excellent question, especially in a province where the, the past policy decisions have tripled the price of electricity to then turn around and say, and now you have to use electricity for your cars and your home heating. Exactly. Um, like, do they honestly think that people are interested in buying electric cars when they continually see the price of electricity going through the roof? Yeah, and you look at the sales figures for electric cars, they just... They don't have traction with the public. They, no. Uh, they cost way more than um, uh, the alternatives. And here's, it, it's important to remember, um, an ordinary four-cylinder small car today is a very clean vehicle, a brand-new um, uh, four-cylinder compact car. These are not like the old gas guzzlers, the V8s yeah. made of cast iron that, that we had in the 60s and 70s. These are are very fuel efficient and the tailpipe emissions are minuscule from these cars. Mm-hmm. The design has improved, catalytic converters have improved. Um, so again, there is very little environmental benefit from getting people out of those kinds of cars into electric cars, but it costs a fortune. And all I can say is when, when, you, when you see a province or when you see a government pushing an idea like that, you're not dealing with rational comparison of costs and benefits anymore. They're, they're just fixated on, on an idea, and uh, it's just a kind of extremism in the policy mindset. Uh, do you think that, in fact, uh, there was thought, as we mentioned earlier, in regard to natural gas, why not only the change in, in, in eliminating from home heating by 2030, but now they're saying that they want to get trucks onto natural gas and off of diesel? Well, um, uh, our, our trucking fleet does use a lot of uh, diesel fuel, um, and uh, it might be the case uh, that if you got them all onto natural gas, some things might improve. You, you probably have slightly lower particulates, but you'd probably have higher knocks. I mean, I don't know exactly what the trade-off would be, but that would be horrifically expensive, and also... What do you do at the border? I mean, does that mean that trucks can't trucks running diesel coming up from the U.S. aren't allowed to enter Ontario? Does it mean Ontario trucking firms have to incur a massive cost that trucking firms based in Tennessee don't have to incur? I mean, what are they going to do about competition? And um, so maybe they have some answer to this. But it's the sort of policy I look at, and I think first of all, given the huge cost of having trucks convert to natural gas or or propane. I don't know if that would be another option for them. Given the cost, what makes them think that we have an air quality problem attributable to our trucking fleet? Because it's certainly not there 
in our air quality data. Hmm. Where do you think this is going, Ross? Um, it's uh, from everything I've seen. It just is going to continue to get crazier and crazier. Like I think the whole, these kinds of discussions. There have been two Auditor General reports now in the green energy area, and both of them, the Auditor General has said in their very polite way, they say there was no cost-benefit analysis here. There is no uh, consideration of whether the costs that the public incurred were actually worth it. And and we see it again, these these climate plan ideas coming out. There's just no indication that the costs they plan to impose on the province are worth it. Like, what would we actually accomplish from this? And why why would we pay so much for something that we know is not actually addressing uh, a problem that we haven't already solved. Like I say, we've uh, just look at what we've done over the past few decades, and basically uh, we dealt with this issue already. So why suddenly throw um, ten times the cost at the province knowing that it's not, there isn't going to be a payoff? Uh, it, it's just a mindset that <clears throat> the province, the provincial government is stuck in, and I don't see any way of getting them to change course. This provincial government also positions this like you're in or you're the cause of the problem. You're a polluter. There's no gray area. You're either following us or, you know, you're uh, you're making life hell for the, the generations that go past us. How does the how does the opposition position themselves around this? How does the opposition attack this? Well, um, <clears throat> I think anyone that wants to debate this uh, should demand that the government um, tell us what exactly this is going to accomplish. Like, okay, they say this is going to address climate change. Uh, exactly uh, how many degrees of cooling is this going to yield for the global climate? And um, how much is how many jobs is this going to cost? Uh, how much is this going to cost households? And what can they expect to see in terms of improvements to air quality? Um, these are the kinds of <clears throat> questions that I hope that they're going to face. And also, yeah, you've made a good point that the, the province's response is just to demonize anyone that that uh, raises critical questions or, or to say that somehow you don't care about the children if, um, if you don't support this. Um, I guess... Uh, it might I, help I don't if... Know the, how, if how the opposition is going to address it, but I would say they, they ought to ask some of the questions the Auditor General has been asking. Show us the cost-benefit analysis. Why on earth do you think this is a good idea? It might also help if uh, opposition, specifically the Conservatives, would you know are now at least identifying that there is an issue, that there is a concern, as opposed to all in or all out. Um, well, uh, yeah, I guess so. I, I mean, I, uh, I study Ontario pollution data really closely. I teach with it. I, my students look at it. I have a website called yourenvironment.ca where you can look up the air pollution history of every community in Ontario and right across the country. So when when I show people this kind of data, they're often really surprised because there's this impression that air quality is bad and getting worse. But the truth is, it's the opposite. It was bad in the past. It was very bad in the 50s and 60s. And now it's gotten extremely good. And we've spent money to accomplish that. So with the opposition, I would say if if they want to look like they're um, positioning themselves in a politically popular space, um, yes, it's it's good to say you're concerned about protecting the environment. 
um, and protecting air quality and, and all that. But don't give in to the alarmism. Don't don't say, yes, we have a crisis that we have to, to deal with. This, uh, we'll just try to find a better way of dealing with it. I, I think they need to challenge that whole narrative and say, look, the government's own data, the government's own air quality reports show that we don't have a crisis <clears throat> and we don't need to be subjecting people to these kinds of costs for an issue that we dealt with largely back in the 1980s. That being said, Ross, there's lots of people out there that will say, all you have to do is look at the weather to see the climate change is happening. We've got to do something now. Hmm. Not, not we've already done it, and let's hang on and see what happens. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's a, a difficult one. I would, I would agree. Look at, look at the weather, but not just today's weather. Let's look at the, the long-term weather trends for the province of Ontario. And there again, I, I just show people the data, and they'll see... Oh, well, if there's a change there, it's a really long, slow process. It's not like this giant crisis. But on that as well, if you're going to say, okay, we have a global climate issue, then fine. What's Ontario's role in the global picture? We uh, incurred a huge cost to phase out coal from our electricity system to coal-fired power plants that we closed, and we're paying through the nose as a result of that. Other countries, Germany, China, all around the world, are building new coal-fired power plants as we speak. Um, so why are we beating ourselves up uh, for uh, on an issue where the rest of the world has a lot of catching up to do? Um, you know, at a certain point, you're entitled to say, all right, we did our, our piece, and now it's, it's up to some other countries to, to do theirs. Dr. Ross McKittrick has been with us, Professor of Economics and CBE Fellow in Sustainable Commerce Department of Economics and Finance with the University of Guelph. Fascinating discussion, Ross. Thanks very much for the time. Much appreciated. My pleasure. Have a good day. You too.